Okay, y'all, open up with me and your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 1. You might be thinking, man, we have been in this sermon series for a while. You were in 1 Kings, and now you're transitioning into 2 Kings. What are we doing? Isn't it almost Christmas time? You're right. You're right. Uh, we are on the second to last sermon out of this sermon series, God's Power to Save the Life of Elijah, the penultimate sermon where we see some of God's power play itself out. And that's the very main point while you're opening up. It's simple and it's straightforward. God is powerful. It's very important for us to recognize that in our lives, and sometimes we can glance over it on accident. It is one of those almost obvious truths that become so obvious that we forget to do it justice in our lives and in the Word. But we cannot look over it now in 2 Kings chapter 1. God is powerful. Let's pray, and then we'll read God's Word today. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We do thank you for your power. And now, God, in power, change us by the reading of this word, by the proclamation of it, by the application of it. Allow us to take it away from here in our hearts as you have commanded us, even in your word. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is 2 Kings chapter 1, starting with verse 1. After the death of Ahab... Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go, inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub? the God of Ekron? Now therefore thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered him, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life 
and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to acquire of Beelzebub, the king of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Because Ahaziah had no son. Now, the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written? The book, the chronicles, the kings of Israel. The grass withers, the flowers, they do fade. But the word of God here stands and remains forever. We thank God for that. Now, remember that main point. God is powerful. If you were listening to uh, the children's task, right? Kind of a sermonette, kind of a task. But uh, if, if you heard that, uh, there's three points that we need to uh, see this morning from this text. God is powerful in his presence. God is powerful in his preserving acts. Thirdly, God is powerful in his purposes in this life. Now, first, we see that God is powerful in his presence, verses 1 through 8. Earlier in this worship service, we used the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer, verse uh, 4 and 5, for our confession of faith. These are incredibly important words for a lot of different reasons, but here's one. They tell us about God's power in his presence. God is a spirit, which means, though he is not seen, he is in all places. Here's a positive illustration about God's powerful presence. Uh, many years ago, can you believe that I can say that about Centennial? Many years ago, there was a, uh, a, a young child of the congregation who was going in for a surgery over at Palmetto Health. Well, it was Palmetto Health, Richland. Now it's Prisma Health. And as we walked in, uh, I did, and I saw the family sitting there. Little girl, she was shaking, crying, weeping. And nervous. What's wrong? Are you okay? She said, I'm very, very nervous. I said, why are you nervous? She said, I'm nervous because I'm about to have to go through those two big doors. And if you've ever been to the children's side of the hospital, you're sitting in this room and the nurse's station is over here where they give you all the stuff and the big doors are over that way if you come right through. And I said, oh, you don't have to be nervous about those doors. And she said, why? And I told her, because God is through those doors. She said, huh? <laughs> yeah, God is through those doors. What do you mean? I said, well, I got good news for you. God is not only through those doors, God's with you right now, sitting in this waiting room. Huh? I said, yep, God is in all places at all times. He is with you. And more than that, he promised that he'd go before you. He told his servant Jacob that when he was going into battle, I think that he'll be able to go through those doors with you. What do you think? She said, I think he could do that. And then we prayed together, me and this young one. And afterwards, by God's grace and his Holy Spirit, she was not nervous. And the Lord had the day. Everything was okay. He indeed is through those doors. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. 
so we can't see him, right? But he is in all places. That is a very powerful reality explaining many things about who God is. It's a positive illustration. But now we see another illustration of God's powerful presence. We see it in verse 3. It's a negative illustration. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Uh, Ahaziah, uh, he had, because in all likelihood of uh, Moab rebelling, probably thrown himself into a tantrum, as many of the Israelite kings would. And in these moments, uh, accidents happen. Whether it was connected with Moab or not, uh, he falls through the lattice and he injures himself, okay? Up high, down low, injured, right? Uh, That is the context of what we see here. But the, the key fact is not how he hurt himself key fact is where he goes for help. He goes far off, searching after another god. But we know from our other shorter catechism question that there are no other gods but this one living and true one. Just because Ahaziah stopped seeking God, following God, and obeying God does not mean that God's presence is any less powerful around him and his country. This is Israel. This is a part of God's chosen people. He will be very near to them. God is powerful in his presence in and of himself. It's who he is. Our belief or acknowledgement of God, it doesn't matter to the equation. We can't uh, believe God into existence. God has always existed. Uh, It's antithetical. Uh, Our belief comes in the God who has existed. Uh, Our acknowledgement of him doesn't change the fact uh, that he has always been there. If I threw this ARP Psalter in the air and I said there is no gravity, it would still come down. And hit me right on the head. Because gravity is there. God is in and of himself present at all times. What's more, God explicitly reveals his presence through his prophets. Who carry God's own words to whomever he desires. In this case, the king of Israel. In and of itself, even taking into account the intensity of the message, this reality reveals God's graciousness. The fact that we can have actual interaction with the divine. Another way to put it, that God would actually speak to us in a way that we can comprehend. Even if the message is bad, if the divine is willing to speak in a way that we can understand, that is inherently gracious. It is a little tricky to wrap our minds around that, but it is the case. Even Ahaziah's bad news from God gives him a, quote, in with God. If he would just take hold of the opportunity to humble himself and cry out to this God who is willing to speak with him. He sent his prophet to catch these guys on their way to find a false god and said, no, 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 is there not a god right here? Go and tell your king what I have said. It's that very thread 
that very thought of God's presence and, and his purposeful presence that's moving forward, that's the content of our second point, which is God is powerful in his preserving acts. Verses 9 through 14, it's clear that King Ahaziah desires not words with, but vengeance against God in his actions towards Elijah. He sends out men ready for battle to apprehend and bring back Elijah to him with the implication that at the least he's going to mistreat Elijah or at the worst he's going to kill him for the prophecy of death that Elijah himself had spoken against Ahaziah. You see this and maybe you heard it. Uh, the, the captain of his 50 with his 50, right? The captain of his 50 with his 50. The captain of his 50 with his 50. You know, kept repeating it. But there's a difference between sending, for instance, uh, just the captain with authority, right? Uh, the captain can go and say, hey, I'm a captain of the guard. You need to come with me, right? Or sending the captain with his guard with swords out, right? Hey, you need to come with us, Elijah. We've heard about you, right? There was implication. It was obvious. The writing was on the wall that these men were seeking Elijah's harm at the request of the king. As we saw clearly in the reading of God's word, God is powerful in the preservation of his people. Fire rains down on not one but two sets of 50 men seeking to apprehend Elijah and do him harm. Armies, military might, humanity in general, they don't hold a candle to God's own power, especially when it comes to his preserving acts for his people. Following the salvation narrative of God's people is a long list of preserving acts. Even in Babylon's conquest, what you might say is the love of God's people. Even then, when God's people seemed to be destroyed, a remnant remained. A remnant which was preserved. Go through the Old Testament sometime. If you're maybe looking for a uh, kind of like a self-starter Bible study, you know, everybody loves devotionals until they don't. Everybody loves books until they don't. But we inherently, as God's people, love God's word, even when our sinful minds say, ah, oh, I know I shouldn't be in it, but we know baseline that we should be in God's word so perhaps you're looking for a self-starter uh, devotional or something like that follow God's preserving acts in the Old Testament depending on how you parse out his preserving acts it would be very difficult to count them I mean we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of different things that it, it, especially if you counted it day by day right? Uh, and if you just took them as events, it would still number in the upper hundreds, even to thousands, if you included like, for instance, the Exodus as one preserving act, even though there were hundreds within that, right? Shoes that never lost their soul. Food that kept raining down from heaven daily. Water that kept miraculously appearing, even in the desert. Right, all of these different things, if you, even if you counted that as one, we would still be in the upper hundreds, close to a thousand. What a devotional. Why don't y'all start? Let me know how it goes. Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful to think about that, to see and begin to see. But, but even then, that's not mentioning 
all of the preserving acts that each of you might at any given moment be able to detail from your own life and testimony as a follower of God. When you stop and you look back on your own life and you say, yeah, I shouldn't be here. Yeah, that, that was it. That was it. I shouldn't be here. You know, I had uh, the swine flu. Do y'all remember this? You know, now it's COVID-19. I had the swine flu. The University of Tennessee, right when this thing came out, Rebecca will remember this. My mother will remember this. This was in the age of cell phones kind of being a thing, uh, but not as easy as a thing as of now, right? And so I kind of had my cell phone, but it was off and in my room, and I was severely dehydrated. I had two IV bags attached to me, and the doctor had to throw me over his thing and get me in because I almost died. Swine flu, that was it. That was it. The doctor came in after I was all healed up, and he said, son, I don't know why you're here. I don't think you should be here. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say. But we begin to uh, stack those on top of one another in our lives, right? That's not the only one for me. You know, it's, it's not just that one thing, right? As we look back on our lives, all of you and each of you can begin to stack them up until this whole church is full of the preserving acts of God. And we're not even mentioning the other believers of God. We're not even mentioning the other centuries and generations of God. We're not even mentioning the Bible, right? The preserving acts stack upon one another as we begin to see God working and working and continuing to work. Our God preserves his people and his people are everywhere, even in faithless Israel, verses 13 and 14. Israel had gone the way of the dust, right? Uh, they're really tanking spiritually. They're tanking in power and politics. Uh, they're nobody now, right? But God's people are still there, and they are being preserved. Again, the king sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. This is verse 13. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. God is powerful in his preserving acts. And this man had the humility and the wisdom to fall on his face and beg for his life, which was granted to him. Or another way to put it, which was preserved. God preserves his people. And he changes the hearts of his people to give them the humility. This is a captain of the king's guard. To give them the humility and the wisdom. He's got 50 men he's trying to keep alive. The humility and the wisdom to fall on the face, on their faces before the Lord to be preserved, which he does. God is powerful in his presence. He's powerful in his preserving acts. And we see one more thing. God is powerful in his purposes. Verses 15 through 18. In other words, what God says, God does. There's no need to belabor the point more than that. It was not Ahaziah's fall it was not Ahaziah's injuries complications that led to his death. 
It was Ahaziah's blatant disregard of the most powerful entity in the entire universe, God himself. It was that that led to his demise. Verses 16 through 17 make that apparent. Thus says the Lord, Elijah speaking to Ahaziah, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it, is it because there's no God in Israel? Right? Do you hear what he's saying? There is a God in Israel. That's what he's saying. Is it because there's no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. God is powerful in his purposes. What he says, he does. What he purposes comes to pass. There is no more to that point. It is that straightforward. Now, let's combine the three together. God's powerful presence is fully seen in Jesus Christ. Tis the season, right? It's almost Christmas time. Tis the season? Emmanuel. Jesus' other name that we always forget about until December, right? God with us. God is very present. More than that, Jesus, as he was talking to his disciples, said, when I go, don't be sad, it's going to be better. They said, how in the world could it be better? It's going to be better because when I go, when I die, when I resurrect, and when I ascend, that's the first part. The next part is that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And so while you're looking at me, dear ones, God will be in you going forward in power, and in presence. And speaking of that reality, as the Holy Spirit indwells his people, he causes us and gifts to us a belief and a faith which reveals God's powerful preserving act, the act, singular it culminates every one of God's preserving acts in your life, in the scriptures, in all of the church's testimony. All of it culminates in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest preserving act of all time. Where he took us out of the vice grips of our own sin and misery and put us on the green beside still water. Right? We were lost and then we were found. God himself sent his son for us. He took what we deserve on himself that we might not have to take it. Here's a minister in our denomination, a twin. He's a twin, his uh, brother, and they are twins. They look just like one another. They're, he's my age, 31. And he is, uh, he is telling this story about when he was younger and his father uh, caught them doing something bad. You know, I don't know what it was, but they, they were in trouble big time. And so he said, son, come on in here. Andrew, you stay right there. So the brother goes in to the room. I think I might have told this story before, but the brother goes in. Oh, Andrew's shivering in his boots now. He's thinking, oh, no, I am in trouble. You know, this is going to be bad. And the, his twin brother walks out, eyes down, straight forward, and leaves the room. And he thought, this is bad. He said, Andrew, come on in. And so he goes in. He says, do you want to know what I did to your son or to your brother? And he said, no, Dad, I don't. 
He said, I took his punishment. And Andrew looked up and said, what do you mean? He said, I took it. He said, look right here. And he showed him his leg. It was red and raw. And he looked the other leg. He said, that's what Jesus did for you. You do that bad stuff all the time. And Jesus took it for you. Every single lick that you deserve. Now get out of here and don't do it again. Right? You know, of course they were shaking in their boots, but it stuck with him. A pure representation of the gospel. Punishment transferred in the moment. What a reality. What a moment of God's preserving acts on behalf of his people. What a powerful purpose that God has revealed all along. What he says, he does. We see one side of that with Ahaziah, God's justice and wrath. But we see the other side as well in Elijah and the king's captain, God's mercy and grace. God's presence and preserving acts combine with his purpose. And the revelation is astounding. A good example, speaking of the Old Testament, while you're doing that devotion, looking for the preserving acts, is to watch for the I wills. If you were uh, to be with us some time ago during our Wednesday night Bible study, you will remember that as we marched through those, uh, uh, those Old Testament books, we finished them up, but when we got to the prophets, we noticed something. The I will passages where God, through every prophet, kept doing one thing constantly. I will come for you. I will save you. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will bring you in. I will protect you. I will keep you. I will bless you. I will. I will. I will. And when God says I will, God does. It's the same thing because he doesn't change. He doesn't lie. It is sure and certain when God says, I will, he is saying, I have. That is the reality of his word and of his preserving acts. What a powerful moment. But so what? Have you changed your life yet like you say you have? Have you ordered your life in such a way as to be able to acknowledge the immense power of God that you say has changed you? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, Pastor. Yes, I do. How has it changed you? I don't know. What do you mean? The change comes with the belief. How has it changed you, dear Christians? What do we look like and why? How does Thanksgiving look different for us than everybody else? What about Christmas? What about Monday? What about Wednesday night after the hard day? What about grief? What about suffering? What about pain? What about knocking on your neighbor's door because that's not the cool thing anymore, but everybody's so lonely that they don't know what to do with themselves? What about hope in a hopeless time? What about truth in a truthless time? How has it changed you? What are you doing? It matters. Think on these things. They matter because God is powerful. He's powerful in his presence. We've got the circle around us if we're all stick figures, right? God is powerful in his preserving acts. We don't only have this church. We are the church. God is purposeful in his power because what he said is that I will save you. And what has he done? He has saved you.
if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior. Dear Christians, think on these things. It must have effect in our lives. Think on these things today. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are powerful. You are powerful. And so, Lord, as we sing your praises, even as we sing, Lord, we pray that you would delve deeply into our souls and even continue by your Holy Spirit that working and changing process, humbling us, empowering us, and causing us to be stirred up to do something to reveal that which you have done in our own hearts. Lord, we know that every good work is a gift from you, and so God, help us to see them and seize them. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.